I want to read for you our scripture text for today, which is from Esther, chapter 4, verses 10 through 17. And uh, I was in Puerto Rico last week uh, at our ABC Denominations uh, annual, or actually biennial gathering. And this was the scripture that I got to read to the American Baptist Church's community uh, last week. And so here, these words. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and gave him a message for Mordecai, saying, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law. All alike are to be put to death. Only if the king holds out the golden scepter to someone may that person live. I myself have not been called to the, king, to the king for 30 days. And when they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter. But you and your family and your father's family will perish. Who knows, perhaps you have come to this royal dignity for such a time as this. And then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, go gather all of the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will also fast as you do. And after that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. And Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I, I was telling you that I went to uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico last week. The American Baptist Churches uh, USA, they gather every other year and they do a lot of missions and partnerships with Puerto Rico. And so as an aid to uh, that community and as a way to uh, help support them and their environment there, uh, we hold biennials there very frequently. And so they'll have one in Puerto Rico, then they'll do East Coast, kind of center of the U.S., West Coast, back to Puerto Rico. And so I, I was blessed with uh, the denomination paid for my uh, stay there. And so I had the opportunity to get to go and see what God was doing in other churches and what God was doing there in Puerto Rico. But I have to admit, I was a little uneasy about arriving to Puerto Rico. Um, Esther's a little uneasy about, wait, can I go before my king or not? Uh, I was not in that kind of fear, but I felt a little uncomfortable because I, I can't help but when I tell people we're going to Puerto Rico, everybody feels like this is like tourist capital. This is like tourist destination. This is, oh, this is just a beautiful place. Um, but it's a home for people. And it's a home for people that wish their own island was in a different situation than they currently are. It's, it's not just something that we get to enjoy and just walk away from, but like, What's God doing in Puerto Rico? And so when I arrived there, uh, I got there around midnight, and we're driving through the downtown on the way to the hotel, and the lights are all out. And it, it was a little bit weird for me because usually you see the city skylines, you see all the buildings lit up, but it was very, very dark. Like maybe an elevator shaft kind of has lights in it, but it was, for the most part, a dark downtown. You get to the hotel, and you're like, I don't know how to feel. Like, am I... Am I in some ways a more privileged person showing up on the island? Because we have certain rights as living in the 50 states that not everybody in Puerto Rico gets the full access to. And so I was a little uncomfortable. 
But I appreciated how much the ABC Biennial really tried to celebrate and advocate on behalf of Puerto Rico. We had a Puerto Rican worship team leading music who, who played different kinds of music, different styles, uh, incorporated moments of like Puerto Rican lament songs, and, and they had a, a beautiful worship team. We had hosts that would, would talk in English, would talk in Spanish, they'd go back and forth. We had when scripture was read, like I, I'd studied only dead languages, so I could not get on stage and read Esther 4, 10 through 17 in Spanish. Uh, thankfully, when I read in English, they would have Spanish on the screen. And when someone would read in Spanish, it would be English on the screen. And so I just felt like they were doing, they were so intentional about recognizing where they were and how to be hospitable and how to advocate for Puerto Rico. And so it was in the midst of that that we had our first worship service and the, the pastor had up to speak. And he was talking about when we wake up to injustice in the world, it should move us to tears. We should be moved by pain. And he was talking about the pain that was more like at home with his community. And after a while, he paused and said, and let us not forget to weep for Puerto Rico. Just a few miles from that center, the economic situation and how dire it was and talked through the different problems they were facing. And in the midst of that moment, uh, I noticed something that was my favorite moment of the entire trip. Uh, we're in this big giant convention center. They've got all the staffing who are super professional and working hard. And they had their media team was, you know, they're doing the five seconds switching camera angles. We're zooming, we're focusing, we're on it. And in the midst of the pastor talking about Puerto Rico, the cameraman stopped what he was doing. He let go of his camera and put his hands above his head and clapped. And that cameraman felt seen. And it was such a beautiful moment of like, he's not there for this denominational meeting. He's doing his work that he does all of the time in this convention center. But he, he, was, he had to stop. He couldn't do anything else but applaud that there was something that needed, there needed to be good news for his home. I have to contrast that most beautiful moment with one more moment. Another day, another worship service, this preacher was actually from Puerto Rico. And so she was preaching and talking about hope and good news for the poor. And, and she was talking through some of the pains that they've faced in Puerto Rico. And, and one of which is all things that get shipped to Puerto Rico must make it through the right U.S. shipping lanes. It has to go to a specific site in Florida, get everything approved before it can make its way to Puerto Rico. They can't advocate for cheaper costs by trying to get something from somewhere else. Uh, and so when they had the hurricane that went through and devastated them, there were shipping boats outside of the island who sat there and could not deliver them aid because, sorry, you have to go up to Florida, get checked, processed, come back, then we can help you in your devastation. And so she was talking through these painful things, and I heard someone uh, who looks more like me say, well, where'd the sermon go? And they were hearing all of the pains of this people and, and what would the gospel mean to people who are experiencing this pain. And the response was, well, where'd the sermon go? I think what they mean is, well, now we're talking things that feel more political. It feels more economic. Like we want to put a spiritual little bubble. This is the only thing we can talk about in church. This is the only thing that, is, uh, that the Bible is this sphere. And everything else we keep out. 
And so when you actually talk about the cries and the pains of your community, well, where'd the sermon go? Because let's just talk about the easy, comfortable things that nobody has to do anything about. We can just feel a little bit better. But what if we talk about things that would actually make a change? And when I heard that, I have to tell you, my my whole worship service was thrown off at that point because I'm just processing this because I'm so tired of us feeling like we can't speak up for those who are in need and who need uh, the good news. And I was thinking about it, and I was thinking about uh, Moses. Moses went to Pharaoh, and he didn't say, you know what, we should have a good Bible study. Moses said, let my people go. How dare us ask Moses, well, where'd the sermon go? When Elijah sees what King Ahab and Queen Jezebel were doing, they could just take the land that they want. Well, you know, it's just mine. They had a real big eminent domain capability there. And when Elijah showed up and said, you know what, God is not happy with you. God's withholding rain until I say it's going to happen again. No one stopped Elijah and said, where'd the sermon go, Elijah? Think about countless prophets throughout the Old Testament. Think about John the Baptist leaving the city behind and kind of shouting from the outside towards Jerusalem and saying, repentance, repentance. Uh, And he gets the people mad because he named names. And the king wants his head. But when John announced that, that there might be good news for the poor, how dare we ask, John, where'd your sermon go? When Jesus shows up, and John writes to him and says, hey, how do we know if you're, like, are you the Messiah? What, what proof is there? How do I know that you're the Messiah? And he said, what does he say? What the blind see, the lepers are healed. Good news to the poor. He talks about real lives being changed. That there needs to be healing and justice. And Rome heard Jesus' message and said, oh, you think yourself a king king of the Jews. And Jesus wasn't just saying we need better Bible studies, but the kingdom of God is at hand. That's very pointed when the kingdom of Rome is at hand. (laughs) Jesus is saying there's a better way, there's a new kingdom, there's a better way to live out what God wants from us. And how dare us ask Jesus, well, where'd the sermon go on that day? John of Patmos writing, perhaps in exile, says, I I know that there's merchants around the world who would lament if the great Babylon, if Rome were to fall and the trades of all these goods, and he ends his list of all the goods getting traded with human beings themselves, if the slave trade ended, the merchants of the world would weep and grieve, and yet we hear the angels and the church say, glory, glory, glory. How dare us, ask John. Well, where'd the sermon go that day? The sermon should be good news. And too often we, we narrow our good news to what's comfortable and what's easy. And Esther does not feel the comfortability of good news in our story today. There is a real risk. She is sitting there with the situation that there has been a royal decree that her people are supposed to be put to death. They're supposed to be genocide, court-sanctioned. And Esther's thinking, maybe I shouldn't do anything. Why? It's dangerous for me to go talk to the king right now. And anybody want to out themselves to the king? 
And we say, hey, I'm one of them too. And by the way, what should I do? And so she believes she's powerless, right? She believes, well, you know, there's a law. You don't go to the king. If you do, you are sentenced to judgment. You're going to die unless you get a pardon. And there's no guarantee on that pardon. And I haven't even talked to him in a month. Does this seem like a great marriage relationship? <laughs> and so she goes, I, I don't feel like I have power. You know, what am I supposed to do? What can I do? And so I think most of us would rather be in the situation of the king in the story and not Esther. Wouldn't we rather sit on the throne with a scepter and we get to choose when people can talk or not talk? What's good news or not? We get to kind of filter everybody. Social media, you're going to mute this person, mute that person. There's some good health in that too. I'm not saying that's only a bad practice. But we like that more than finding out so-and-so has muted us and have blocked us. So we would rather be the king of the story that's the gatekeeper who says what is and isn't good news, what is and isn't a sermon, what is and isn't allowed. But Esther does not have that place in the story, and we often do not have that place in the story. And so Esther gets a word back from Mordecai. Mordecai tells her, if you think you're going to be safe, I've got news for you. If you think you're going to be safe in that royal palace, if you think you're going to be safe in that ivory tower, guess what? The hate is going to turn on you too. You don't get to just avoid it. You can't ignore it. At some point, it's coming your way too. You and your father's family will not be spared. You don't get to stand idly by. And how many of us stand idly by because we think we're going to be spared? It's in desperation that you're like, you know what, I found my voice. Please, please stop. Don't do this. But if you think you might have a little bit of ability to survive, you think, you know, I, I don't, it's not the right time. When the king eventually calls me, maybe then I'll have some courage. But most of us don't want to step up. And I think that's part of why the story I shared is one of my least favorite parts of my trip because most of my spirit is wrestling with, should I have said something when I heard someone say, well, where'd the sermon go? And a lot of my spirit is saying, yes. It is difficult to speak up. It is especially difficult to speak up when, you're in, when you have privileged spots, when you have comfortability of relationships, when you have less to lose, it feels like, in the moment. And it's easy to just not talk and just sit there and then be really conscientious about when I clap in the sermon... <laughs> What are other people thinking around me? Do I stand up? Do I applaud? And to turn really inwardly of like, what is okay and not okay to do right now? Do I feel safe? Do I feel like it's okay to voice something different? And I don't think I'm alone in having those feelings. I'm sure you've had those feelings at some point that someone has said something, a little joke that wasn't really a harmless joke, where you're like, hmm and then you just bit your tongue, right? Because it's easy to just bite your tongue. And some of those moments come really fast. They rush by you and you were not expecting them. It's like a train going by and you're like, I, I wasn't prepped for that. And what do we do? How quickly do we have that instinct response to speak up for people, to speak up for ourselves, to not allow those 
those messages that bring harm or belittle or downplay people to, to just be the last word. And so Mordecai's message to us is, do we think we're just going to get by? Do you think the hate's not going to end up going your direction too? Do you want to do the right thing now or do you want to wait until you have no other choice? We criticize companies and public figures for doing this all the time, that they make the big written apology after they've been pushed to the edge and they must do it, of how different that is than when you just say, I messed up, and immediately take ownership and say, here's what needs to be said. But we keep wanting to see, how long do I have to take? Can maybe I can get by. Maybe we don't have to do this. And so Mordecai, Mordecai tells us, if you think you're safe, think again, step up. And so, are we willing to step up, or are we just going to hide? And so Esther writes in her response to Mordecai, something I think is really beautiful. Esther said in the reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will also fast as you do. And after that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Esther could have heard Mordecai's reply and said, okay, well, maybe next week. But Esther has a beautiful uh, wisdom about her to say, I can't do this on my own strength. I need a lot of prayer. And so this is long distance prayer request time. She doesn't just say, like, I have an unspoken, please, you know. Uh, hey, pray for me. I'm about to go through this. I might die. Please pray on my behalf. And guess what? I'm going to let my people know around me, which, again, royal palace. There's danger. What if the gossip rumor mill makes its way towards the king? She says, I'm going to have my, my people pray as well. And so we're going to pray for three days, night or day. We're not going to eat or drink. I can tell you that would be really hard going to San Juan, Puerto Rico and not eating or drinking in those three days. When there's, if you're living in a royal palace, not eating or drinking takes a lot more... Uh, bravery, courage, confidence, strong will. There's some good food in this palace, I'm sure. And she forfeits that, the right of the palace to have a little bit better things than the other people in this kingdom, and says, I'm going to pray night and day. Who? Not to the king of Persia. To God. How many of us make the people around us in our lives, bosses, friends, neighbors, family members, make them the king of the story. We give them the power of the scepter in our lives. If I speak up to this person, what will they do to me? What will they say about me? Will I be pushed out? Will I be pushed aside? How many of us go to God and rest in the beauty of God's kingdom where God is not waiting with a scepter to like decide your fate? He didn't say, oh, that was a bad prayer today. Sorry, judgment, lightning strike on you. But to go into the safety of God's kingdom and say, God, please give me the strength. Please, I want to follow you more faithfully. Show up, protect me, please. But even if you don't protect me, I'm going to do what I know I should do. Please, God, be with me. What if we did that? 
That moment you're like, I'm not sure. I don't know if I have the confidence. I don't know if this is for me. What if we went into into prayer mode, not just for the three seconds, although if you're at zero seconds, I want to encourage you, three seconds is beautiful. If you're at three seconds, maybe a minute would be beautiful. That expanding that prayer time of spending in the safety of God's kingdom empowers us to go into the other kingdom and to stand. And so Esther says, please pray for me. And she gets to that spot. If I perish, I perish. That takes all of the power of the kingdom away. What could the king do that she has not already submitted herself to in that moment? What if you said, I don't care if I'm going to lose this job, this position, this friendship. I, I must speak. Please don't make it about the carpet colors. I must speak about good news, right? Where's there a place to stand on something? That I, my spirit, my heart can't let me be silent. Good news must be proclaimed. There's exclusion at work, and we need to include the beautiful children of God in the room. And so, if I perish, I perish. I feel like we all kind of hope for that conviction. Many of us don't want to actually go the road of that conviction. It's a better movie line. You know, people put like Braveheart on and stuff like, oh yeah, the, the courage kind of scene. Oh yeah, great, great. I don't want to be that though. <laughs> I don't want to go that route. But Esther gets to that beautiful spot. I'm going to stand up for my people. I'm going to God. And whatever happens, happens. And when Mordecai gets this word, he goes and listens to what Esther has told him. He's getting the people to pray for her. And the beauty of this scene when he's accepting what Esther's recommendation is and her plan is she's accepting an identity for herself, her true identity. And Mordecai is the one who told her not to be herself in the story. It's from an earlier chapter in Esther, Esther chapter 2. Mordecai is the one who had the brilliant plan that Esther should not go by her real name. She should not be herself. Hadassah was her real name, but let's go by Esther and in that same verses, it says she's going to hide who she is, her identity, that she's Jewish. And now Mordecai has had to come to the realization that hiding who you are is not a great way of living. Because at some point, you need to stand up for yourselves, and you have to be fully yourself. And so Esther gets to walk into the royal court. Sure, her name is Esther in the story, but she is living her full identity for once, in a long time in the story, to say, here's who I am. Please, if you care about me, here's what I need. Here's what my hope is for my people. Please see me as I am and see them like you see me. And some people will still hate and will say, perish. But some people might be moved and actually change. And our story is one in which God has allowed moments of justice, moments of good news to be handed over to us as actors in the great divine story. Will we stand up for God's justice and God's kingdom or will we sit idly by? What will we do? And so I want you to just rest in that question and in that tension of what will we do? 
what sermon do you need to share? Because it's not just about people on stages, but there's good news of God's hope and God's love that each of us need to be sharing. And there's moments where you hear a little bit of hate, a little bit of anger, a little bit of prejudice, a little bit of pride, and you have the opportunity to let somebody be aware of a, of a world, of a God who is greater than that kind of kingdom. And don't we want to live in a world more like heaven on earth? And it starts with us building up that bravery of spending time in prayer to say, God, give me the courage to speak. So if I perish, I perish. What a beautiful rallying cry to prayer this week. Would you pray with me? Lord, I just pray that for everyone who's worshiping with us, that we might feel a sense of security and safety in your presence today, that we can be truly ourselves in your presence. The other names and labels that people place on us, Lord, let us be able to, to shed those things to just be who you've made us. Let us say yes to who you are calling us into being. Let us say yes to the kind of courage, the kind of faithfulness that we see in Christ who brings good news even if it takes you to a cross. But help us to trust that even though crosses might come, there's also Easter mornings. There's resurrection and new life after the cross. Lord, give us wisdom to know that our words that we speak when we have those courage, that they might truly be good news and news of your love and your goodness and your beauty. Let our sermons that we preach to those around us in action and word not be ones of, of kings like in Persia and the story that, that have this conditional kind of acceptance and love and and are ready to judge, but let us have this openness that you inspire us into. Lord, for those of us who feel like there have been moments where we've let others down, where we've let ourselves down, we've let you down, we ask for your forgiveness, we ask for your sense of peace, that you don't hold those things against us, but you empower us, you lift us up to go running out into the beautiful world you made for us. Lord, ready our hearts and our spirits as we continue in worship and make our way towards your beautiful meal. Help us to live and live out our worship. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.